0: You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale continues our Grace's Greater Sermon series with a message on grace greater than our weakness. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. There's a guy named Phil Hansen. He's an artist, and uh, he's a huge success. His breakthrough approach to creating a heart creating art has made him incredibly popular and has inspired millions of people he has a TED talk out that's called embrace the shake and if you have a a few minutes uh, today or sometime this week I'd encourage you to look it up and, and take 10 minutes to watch that's the great thing about TED talks is that they're designed to be short most of them don't go over 18 minutes in length so so google TED talk Phil Hansen and you'll find it uh, but it's a great talk it takes about 10 minutes to watch and I'd encourage you to watch it. In art school Phil began to develop a tremor in his hand and for years he had worked toward toward becoming an expert in the art of pointillism. Now pointillism is a technique where the artist will will use very small distinct dots to form an image. It's a, it's a very tedious technique and so years of tediously making these tiny dots to, to, to create an image led to permanent uh, damage in his hand to nerve damage in his hand and it made it impossible for him to hold his hand steady and so this signature ability that he had developed that had made him so popular now became his signature disability his strength had become his weakness and so phil seeing that he couldn't do this one technique that he had mastered that he loved doing he quit art he walked away from it and one day after a meeting with his neurologist or a doctor's appointment with his neurologist, something that the doctor said to him stuck with him. And the doctor said this to him. He said, Phil, why don't you just embrace the shake? Phil began to think about what that meant. And, and he started to, to open the idea of getting back into art. And Phil, Phil started experimenting with art again. And he said the most incredible thing happened as he did. The shake that he thought had destroyed his artistic ability became what inspired his most powerful works of art. His weakness became his strength. Phil realized that what he thought were limitations became a catalyst for even greater creativity. He became convinced of this dynamic and he wondered what would happen if I I purposely put limits on myself. What would happen if I had to paint and I could only use a dollar's worth of supplies? Or what if I had to paint but I couldn't use a brush? Or what if I created art to, to be destroyed and instead, of, instead of looked at? Phil learned to embrace the shake. And he discovered that art created out, out of weakness ended up being his most inspiring and powerful pieces of art. He explains it this way. He says we first need to be limited in order to become limitless. It's not easy, though. It's not easy to embrace the shake. We've grown up in, in a society and a culture learning that we need to highlight our strengths and hide our weaknesses. We don't embrace our limitations. We're, we're often embarrassed by them and, and often so much that we'll refuse to even admit our weaknesses. You ever watch the show Shark Tank? Anybody ever seen the show? Okay, a few of you, so you know what I'm talking about. If you've never seen it, it's a show where inventors bring uh, something that they've created, and they bring it to these... Uh, financial entrepreneurs hoping to get a financial partner and many times when i'm watching shark tank i'll sit there and i'll think think to myself man that's a great idea why didn't i think of that i mean it's a simple idea a con, you know something so simple why didn't i think of that i could have been a millionaire and every once in a while on the rare occasion and it is a rare occasion i'll look at christian i'll say you know what? i did think of that somebody just stole my idea But if you watch the show, you may remember an invention called the skinny mirror. The mirror uses curved glass to create an optical illusion so that the user will look about 10 pounds thinner. Now, it was originally designed for individuals to use, but retailers decided to get involved with this mirror because they found that a person that comes to their store and tries on clothes is exponentially more likely to make the purchase when they look in the skinny mirror and they see how much better they look. And here's what, here's what really just blew me away about the skinny mirror. Is that they don't even try to hide it. They don't try to hide what it is, that it's an optical illusion. They put their logo right there at the right-hand bottom corner of the mirror. It says the skinny mirror. So the next time you're at a store and you're trying on clothes and you think, man, these skinny jeans look great on me. Well, don't look down at the, at the bottom right-hand corner because you may be disappointed. And I was thinking about that. You could probably develop an entire product line around this idea that we don't want to admit the truth about our weakness. You could have the skinny scale. When you weigh yourself on the scale, it gives you a number that's about 10 pounds lighter than, than reality. I'm, I might have to buy one of those. Or maybe you could have the skinny bowl. You want to eat an entire pint of ice cream, but you don't want to feel guilty about it. I mean, some of you all know what I'm talking about. You don't want to feel guilty about it, so you, you put it in the skinny bowl. Now don't worry, it's, it's, you're going to still get the same amount of ice cream. It's just a larger bowl to create the illusion that you're just not eating as much as, as you think you are. Denying weakness could and be could and can be a lucrative business. We would much prefer a magic mirror to tell us, a tru- to tell us lies rather than to tell us the truth about ourselves. But we all experience moments when we are confronted with the truth of our limitations, we all will experience those moments. When Christy was pregnant with Eli, Eli is our second son. We went to a routine checkup with uh, visit with her doctor, and during that checkup, the doctor was listening to the heartbeat, and I noticed his facial expression began to change. And I don't know why doctors do this, and so if there's any doctors in here, uh, I'm just going to tell you stop doing this. Okay, stop it. You all make these facial expressions. And you don't explain what the facial expression means. But you make this facial expression and and your face changes. And everybody in the room knows that something is going on that's not normal. And our doctor was doing this. He was listening to the heartbeat and he's making this facial expression. And I could tell that it it wasn't good. And he leaves the room. And he goes out and he brings in another doctor. And that doctor starts doing the same thing. And it's making the same facial expression. And I really just want to say, stop. Just tell us. Tell us what's going on. Finally, the doctor told us that he was going to make us an appointment. His office would schedule an appointment with us at a neonatal cardiologist in Lexington, and that it was very important that we would go to this appointment. He still didn't explain a whole lot to us, but we finally got out of him that he believed that there was a hole in Eli's heart. So we went to the appointment and at the cardiologist there in Lexington, and. And that doctor confirmed what our doctor had suspected. There was indeed a hole in Eli's heart. We were heartbroken by this. What made the news even more difficult for, for me was that I just had a friend go through this exact same thing. His, his baby was diagnosed with a hole in the heart and uh, they were told of all the heart surgeries that the baby was going to need. And, and right after birth, this friend of mine, his baby was rushed into heart surgery. And two weeks after this baby was born. The baby died. We were devastated at this news. I remember taking Christy home and then going out for a drive. And that's kind of one of the things that I do when, when I just need some time away. I need to, to clear my head to get some mental focus to, to regain that. I just get in the car and I go out for a drive. And on that particular drive, I prayed and I begged and I cried and I asked God to heal my unborn son. And if someone had passed me on the road that day, I'm not sure what they would have thought because I, I'll tell you, I was a mess. There was, there was a lot of hand movements because I, I talk with my hands, I pray with my hands. And I don't know how I was steering the, the car that day, but, but there was a lot of tears. And, and really, if someone had passed me, they would have thought, this guy's crazy. But in that moment, I didn't really care because desperate people don't really care about those kind of things. But I'll tell you this, it was in that moment, in a vehicle by myself, that I felt as close to God as I have ever felt. Looking back on it, there was, there was nothing that I could do. I was completely and utterly helpless. But God never seemed more real to me than He did in that moment. And I'll tell you, I've had the chance to worship, to worship God in... Uh, in beautiful auditoriums. I've had the chance to be with thousands of people in conferences and, and worship God, and those are some special moments, but I can tell you this, that God showed up more real and more powerful to me in, in a car, in a country road, just me and Him. And it was, it was one of those moments where God showed up more powerfully in my life than at any other time. My complete powerlessness was a necessary precondition to experience God's total power and god's total presence we had a follow-up appointment about six weeks later uh, with the cardiologist and the purpose of this appointment was to check on the size of the hole of the heart to make sure that it hadn't gotten any larger and then to plan a course of action this was going to be the appointment where we would hear about all the surgeries our son was going to need following birth but incredibly something happened not just incredibly but miraculously Something happened. Cardiologist begins to, to find the heartbeat, looking for it, and he finds it. And he's doing his thing with the wand, whatever it is that they use. I don't know the medical terms. I'm not a doctor, but he, uh, he's looking for, uh, for this heartbeat. And again, I don't know what it is with these doctors, but he starts doing this facial expression thing again. And he's changing his face, and he's leaning his head. And my dog does this when he doesn't understand something. She cocks her head and tilts her ear one way. And he's doing that. And I'm going, well, what's going on? And I asked Christy, I, I kind of nudge Christy, what's going on? She said, I don't know. And he leaves the room. And he goes and he gets another doctor and they come back in. And he starts, this other doctor starts doing it. And he's doing the facial expression thing again. And I'm just like, stop doing that. Christy and I were at a point where we thought something terrible was, was going on. But it wasn't. In fact, it wasn't terrible at all the hole had closed and we were amazed and it was it was in that moment completely and utterly helpless that we experienced god's power in the most powerful way and perhaps you have uh, been in a place where you couldn't deny that you didn't have what it takes you were completely and utterly helpless and if you haven't been in that moment then uh let me just warn you you will be There will be a point in time when there is nothing that you can do about the situation that you find yourself in. But if you have, you've probably, it was probably a painful experience for you. The truth about that moment is that while it may have been full of pain, it also had the most potential to be full of God's power. Why? Because we're able to receive God's grace only to the extent that we're able to recognize our need for it. Let me say that again so you don't miss that. We're able to receive God's grace only to the extent that we're able to recognize our need for it. We live in a culture that celebrates strength and it condemns weakness. But grace enables us to celebrate our weakness. When we celebrate our weakness, it opens the floodgates for grace to pour into our lives. And when grace pours into our lives, it allows us to celebrate our weakness all the more. And if God's power works best in, in weakness, then recognizing that I don't have what it takes will enable me to receive God's grace all the more, which enables us to celebrate weakness, which makes room for more grace to pour into our lives. You see the cycle that happens there? When we celebrate weakness, it opens the door for God's grace, which allows us to celebrate even more weakness, which allows even more of God's grace. The more we're able to acknowledge our weakness, the greater our, our opportunity to experience God's power in our lives. And I'll tell you, this doesn't come naturally to me. And probably not to you as well. I'm most often the last person who is able to identify my weakness. I'll probably be pretty good at, ad, at identifying your weakness. But I'm often the last person able to identify my own weakness. But when I can identify the areas of my life where I don't have what it takes... Then I can be intentional about asking God for His help. And it's in, that, it's in that place where God's grace and His power abound. The Apostle Paul learned to not only acknowledge his weakness, but to celebrate that weakness. Paul wrote in, second, in the second letter of Corinthians, in, uh, in chapter 11, he writes this. He says, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. But I also dare to boast about them. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Now Paul writes this letter to, writes this to the church at Corinth for, for a couple of reasons. But the biggest reason is after he writes this first letter to the church, some, some other guys come in and they begin to boast about their, their spiritual experiences, their religious resumes. And they end up leading people away from the church. And so Paul says, I feel foolish even talking about this. But I have to talk about this because the only way that you'll listen to me is if I boast about my strength. You you need to hear about my strength so so that you can learn to celebrate weakness. Then he goes on to explain how his strength and experiences could have led him to put confidences in himself, to begin to think that he did have what it took. But listen to how he continues because that's not what he does. Listen to what he writes in verses 7 and 8. He says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. You know, a lot of people have speculated on what Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been. And scholars have suggested many possibilities, but no one is really sure. And we're going to look at a couple of those possibilities in a few minutes, but... But I wonder if Paul doesn't leave it vague so that it makes it easier for us to fill in the blank with our own thorn. What's yours? What's your thorn? What have you begged God to change? What have you asked God to take away? What is it in your life that forces you to acknowledge weakness? How would you finish this sentence? My weakness is what? Just fill in the blank. Because remember, the idea behind this series is not that we just learn about grace, Not that we just learn that grace is greater than your weakness, but that you experience God's grace by receiving His power in your weakness. That's what we want to happen in this. So, so as we consider what it might have been for Paul, keep your weakness in mind, okay? Keep, keep what it is that you would fill in that blank with. Keep that in, your, in mind as we go through a couple of things that Paul might have thought about his own weaknesses, about his thorn. Now, I've thought about what Paul might have written in that blank, and he could have written several words in that blank but i think one of them that he could have written was infirmities the bible hints that paul might not have been the best looking guy and i can sympathize with him there but but other verses indicate that he may have had terrible vision or even epilepsy and if it was a physical infirmity that paul is referring to he discovered god's grace was greater another word paul could have written in the blank is is inabilities now we don't know if if this was his storm, but several times Paul Paul mentions that he was not an eloquent or persuasive speaker. And just think about that for a minute. Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, and for the beginning of the church, you know, for most of the first two, three decades of the church, was the primary spokesperson for the church. Says that. He was not a persuasive or eloquent speaker. And so if that's the case, doesn't that make it even all the more true that when we are weak, God is strong? That God, God's grace would show up and crash into Paul's life like no other if that's actually true, if that, was his, if that was his thorn. You know, sometimes I watch other pastors who seem to have this knack for coming up with that, that one line They've got that one line in their sermon that it's it's good. And you know that when people talk about church around the lunch table on Sunday afternoon, they're going to be talking about that one line. And and I'll I'll be real honest with you. A lot of times I'm jealous of that because I don't have that ability to just craft that one line that is, is kind of that sticky statement. And if I have one of those lines, you can bet that I've probably borrowed it from one of those guys. And I ask God all the time, Why, why God, why don't you help me with that? Why don't you make... Make me better at that. Why can't you do that for me? And I'll be honest, I don't feel like God has really helped me with that. But I've learned the only way that I can have what it takes as a preacher and as a pastor is to lean into God, to be intentional about finding my strength in Him. Because I'll be real honest with you, if, if I'm only dependent upon my strength and my abilities as a preacher and as a pastor, you're going to get tired of listening to me real quick. Okay? And you're going you're gonna to get tired of coming to church. And you're going to get tired of, of me. And my ministry will be short and not very fruitful. So I have to be intentional about leaning into God to find strength in Him. But let me ask you this. What inability torments you? Perhaps it's something about you that you wish was different. Maybe, but, but even if that is, maybe that's the very area where God's power will use you, use you the most significantly. So don't don't think what you have as an inability can't be used by God. Because it can be. There's one other word that I think Paul could write in that blank, and it's inadequacy. Paul at times expresses feelings of inadequacy. He found himself in situations where he couldn't help, but he comes to the conclusion, I don't have what it takes. There, There are several different times in Scripture that he gets to that conclusion, I just don't have what it takes. I feel... I feel uh, inferior to, to the challenges laid out before me. I feel inferior to this call that God has given to me. And we, ask, and we ask this all the time to ourselves. Why would God give us a calling that clearly is mismatched to our abilities? Why would God do that? Well, Paul explains why. He says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, He says, we were under great pressure so far beyond our abilities to endure. And then in verse nine, Paul gives us the answer to to that question of why we are we are constantly mismatched. He says, "This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God's power is attracted to weakness." His grace comes running to those in need. And so when you feel mismatched, you feel like what, what's in front of you is far greater than you can accomplish, you can rest assured that that's in that moment, that's when you can find God's grace and God's power. Whatever you filled in the blank with, whatever your thorn is, I want you to know that His grace is greater than that. We aren't exactly sure what Paul's, what Paul's thorn was. We don't know what Paul, word Paul would have used to fill in the blank for his weakness, but we... But Paul makes it very clear that God's grace is always enough. Listen to what he writes in verses 9 and 10. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the, in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. You know, a lot of people have memorized that verse as my grace is sufficient. One translation says that, that my grace is always enough. But then we're told that his strength is perfected in weakness. That is, it fills in our blanks. Whatever it is that we, whatever word it is that we would fill in our blank with, that's where God's grace is. The wider the blank, the more of his grace and strength can be displayed. Grace enabled Paul to to celebrate his weakness. And celebrating his weakness opened the floodgate for more grace to pour into Paul's life, which further allowed him to celebrate his weakness. Paul's thorn helped him to realize that he he was only able to receive God's grace to the extent that he recognized his need for it. Paul's experience of this truth led him to take pleasure in his weakness more in his weakness than in his power and because of his weakness there was room for god to show up and not to just show up but to show off to show what his power could do in those situations acknowledging weakness invites god's presence and power into our lives you know we we love strength in our culture we do I'll occasionally watch uh, the CrossFit competitions that come on, and those people, they do some incredible things and, and by their strength. It's, it's really amazing to me to watch them do those kind of things. And evidently, it's, it's not just amazing to me, but because it's now a $4 billion brand. So, so a lot of people are watching this. We love movies that show and depict a character of strength. Comic book heroes have seen a resurgence in the last few years. And we love their, their superpower strengths. We even love strengths so much that we over-exaggerate job titles. One company listed a job posting for a retail salesperson and offered the position as a retail Jedi. I think that's how you all should have offered the, listed the position for, uh, for senior minister. Pastor Jedi. If, you'd gotten that, if that's how you had listed it, Mike, you'd, you'd probably got a, a lot better resumes than mine. My point is, is that, that we love strength. And I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. So so the question I pose is, where do you find strength and how much strength do you want? Where do you find strength and how much do you want? And maybe you find it in your own store of willpower, but, but you've probably lived long enough to realize that there's not much strength available to you there. God wants you to find strength in Him. Because unlimited strength is found in Him. Throughout the Bible, we see people like Moses and Gideon and Elijah and Paul, all who were intimidated by their calling. And to each one of them, God gave the same reassurance. He said, you don't have what it takes. And that's okay. Because I am with you. By the grace of God, His strength works best in our weakness. Imagine it this way. Imagine you've got a cup and it's empty. And the emptiness will represent our weakness. So someone directs you to a nearby hose and it's connected to a, to a faucet and it's coming out of a very high and long wall that you can't see the other side of. But the faucet works. And so you turn, you turn the nozzle and, and the water begins to seep from the hose. It's not spraying, it's just, it's just barely coming out. And you're hoping that this this faucet's going to run long enough to fill your cup. And the water moves right up to the rim and then it stops. Seemed to work out well, didn't it? I think you get the symbolism that the water represents God's grace. Exactly what we need and exactly the amount that we need. But time passes and and here you come back to the hose and there's no sign of the cup. But you've got an empty bucket. Let's make the bucket a symbol of having a a bit of a health scare or maybe some financial issues. You really could use some strength. And so you turn on the hose, and again, the water gradually fills, comes out, and it begins to fill the bottom of the bucket, and then up the sides of the bucket. And once again, right to the rim before it stops. How does it know? Time passes, and this time you've brought a large red wheelbarrow full of emptiness, and you've brought it to the old hose. Maybe you've lost your job, and with that, you've lost your confidence. Or maybe your marriage is in a bad place, much worse than, than you ever realized. Maybe it's a situation with your child and, and you're just overwhelmed. You turn on the hose and plumbing still works and the water comes out with that familiar swish the wheelbarrow begins to fill. And you know where it stops. Once again, right at the very top and, and you sigh with relief. There's just enough. A little more time passes and This time you pull up in a semi-truck and you're hauling a tank behind you the size of a trailer because this is big. This is is radiation treatments. This is a child in prison. This is an affair. And you turn on the hose and, and water begins to flow into the tank and you're sure that there will not be enough but it just keeps coming. And for hours this water flows and then right when the tank won't take another drop the hose stops. That's how the grace of God works. There's always enough however much emptiness you bring to god that's how much grace he has to give to you and the emptier we are the more of his grace we can receive the weaker we are the more of his strength we can discover that's why paul says he can take pleasure in his weakness that he can he can celebrate it. he can be confident that he doesn't have what it takes because he doesn't have to have what it takes we are never in a better position to experience god's grace than the moment you realize you don't have what it takes and you don't have to because God's grace is enough. His grace is stronger than your weakness. Like we've been saying this whole series. His grace is stronger than your weakness because His grace is greater. Always. No matter what. And so this morning, we get to a time of invitation, a time of response. And maybe, maybe there's, you're in a situation where you need some strength. I'd ask you to invite God into your life to fill in your blank. Whatever it is that that weakness is, that you would fill it in with God's grace and God's power. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And uh, we don't understand how so many things work. We don't understand how your grace works. We know we certainly don't deserve it. We don't understand how that uh, there's so many times where we're in situations where we we just seem out of our league. And the reality is, is that it's because we are. And yet, in those moments, you come through, and your grace fills us, and your strength empowers us. And by the grace of God, we're able to see you move in our lives. And so, Father, this morning as we come to a time of invitation, a time to, to acknowledge that we don't have what it takes, Lord, I pray that if someone here this morning is in a situation where they need Your grace, they will open themselves up to ask for it. Father, if there's someone that needs to pray with, uh, needing, needing prayer, I pray that they would step out so that we might pray with them. And that it, through that situation, Your grace might be shown. Father, we love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.